0: ever failed me yet does that imply that one day does that imply that one day he will fail no of course not because our God is faithful and he's called us and he's asked us to come together and this is God's family now there are lots of God's parts of God's family over there and there and there and there and even in Canada we've got guests this morning from Canada so you know. God's family is a, is a global family, isn't it? It's a worldwide family. I understand there are even God's people in Indonesia. <laughs> and for those of you that might be interested, I do have half a dozen of these um, leaflets. Uh, about a year ago, we took an offering up for, for Ukraine, and folk in Ukraine. If anybody's interested, I've got these that give updates on that. And... Uh, I've only half a dozen and the first half dozen will get one and a chocolate which will be given by Ron at some subsequent time. <laughs> I just want to point out too how, how dangerous it is to be prayed for by Tony Plues. <laughs> Tony once told me that God loves me and that uh, he, Tony, has a wonderful plan for my life <laughs> and uh, the impact of that abides with me. But this is the fellowship of God's people. This is, this is us. We're gods. I'd like to thank God for people like Karen, who this morning prepared this table. Isn't that neat? Folk that do things like that. And there's Marsha, who's looking after us with, with a coffee or a tea or something like that. This is the family of God. This is people loving God, working together. This is this ancient couple that, uh, again... On, on a caravan deal for <laughs> no, a year, sort of wandering around, um, lost in the wilds of New Zealand, because they love God. This is the family. This is God's family. And this is our being together. And I'm going to start today with communion. Now, it's not the, the order that, that was given, and I transgress those that I think hopefully may not even be here, but <laughs> This is family. And Jesus said, do this. He actually did not say preach a sermon, but he did say come together. And he did say, when you come together, remember me. And he gave some substance to that because often tangible things help us. They sort of anchor the the things that we do and respond to. So we're going to take communion together. As you take it, I'd like to again remind you, your challenge is to remember Jesus. So when you take the bread and you drink this cup, remember Jesus. It's easy when we come to communion to simply sit down and take a little bit of bread and a bit of cup and now what's cooking for dinner today and uh, where are the kids and... uh, What's happening? And oh, look, I haven't done that yet and I need to do this stuff. Jesus asked that we remember him. Remember Jesus. He is central. He is the reason we're here. Were it not for Jesus, we would never be meeting together. We'd never know the group that's here this morning. Remember me, said Jesus. Remember how much you owe him. Remember the debt, in that sense, that's on you, and yet it's a free gift. But he says, remember me, remember, because we forget. Remember me. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and broke it. He took a cup. This is my body. This is my blood, said Jesus. Remember, in your failings, in your weakness, in your busyness, in your loss, remember me. Remember me. I am, said Jesus, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You are his sheep. You are to follow Jesus. He is the shepherd. Remember me. Lord God, because Jesus asks us, we remember your own wonderful son, God with us, Emmanuel Jesus who came to give us life Jesus who came to change our hearts and take away the failures, the guilt the weakness and to replace that with his presence and his strength Jesus the one that loved us with a love so great today O oh Lord we remember you We thank you for gathering us together. Help us to remember. Here is another story. For some of you, this is a very familiar story. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana, in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus, and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding, get this, from 80 to 120 litres, six of them. Jesus said to his servants, to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Gana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I would like you to think about three elements of the story and I want you to assist me. You see, when those disciples gathered around the table and Jesus said, this is my bread, this is my body, this is the cup, this is my blood, when Jesus did all that, I don't think the disciples were all gathered as you are now, around the table. And they asked questions. They talked. And many times in Jesus' teaching, he involved people. So I want to do that with you this morning. So I want to ask this question. In this passage, what is there to learn about Jesus? What is there to learn about miracles? What is there to learn about Mary and her response? And there may be implications for us in all of these things. So, get your thinking hat on while I deal with this bit first. You see, the miracle is significant because it is the first miracle Jesus ever performed, which makes a statement, doesn't it? You see, it took thousands of years for God's Son to come to earth fulfilling God's promise to destroy sin, to conquer death and rescue humanity. All the prophecies and waiting for the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, Jesus, finally showed up. About time. Age, about 30. Jesus' public ministry began. The Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism. And with all the power of the universe coursing through him, wait for it, he went to a wedding and solved a catering catastrophe. That's Jesus. What is that telling you about Jesus? And what does this passage tell you about Jesus? You have one minute to talk to someone else nearby and say, what does this tell you about Jesus? You have one minute starting now. Go. You have half a minute left. Okay, that's exactly a minute. I want some feedback, please. Some comments. What does it tell you about Jesus? Very practical. very practical. What else? That suits Adam. Very practical. What else? Yes. Yeah, wasn't pl- very spontaneous. Isn't that amazing? Here's Jesus just responding to a need. What else? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't be too scared to do don't be too scared to go to Jesus with any issue. What else? Okay, this is a moment of Jesus in the agenda. This was, this was yet to come, but he still did this. Okay, good. Other comments? Yeah. It is. We're not getting into Mary just yet, but beer. Okay. So, it, but it was amazing, wasn't it, this, that Jesus would respond like that. What else? The fact that he could do a miracle like that, it's amazing. It's not the sort of thing that most of you can do but um, some of you may try. Hang on to those thoughts about Jesus, and we'll come back to this in a minute. You know, interesting, this was the first item on God's agenda, sorry, the first item on God's agenda after creating the world in the Old Testament was a wedding. Adam, Eve. So why shouldn't the New Testament have this early on in its record as well? You see, relationships matter to God. And here was God, through Christ, in Christ, addressing a relationship issue. And you go to the other bookend, if you like, in John's Gospel. You'll find him at the tomb of Lazarus, where he raises his friend from the dead. And what's the message of all of this? The message is that Jesus cares about every detail of our lives, from the altar of marriage to the grave. Jesus cares. Jesus understands. Did you? any of you get that one? Okay, it doesn't matter. I want you to think again about material that we've mentioned already. This is a sign, John says. This is a sign. And we've noted earlier in earlier addresses that John's Gospel is organised around signs. And that's John's word for miracle. Why did he do that? Why does he call this a sign? You see, it's a sign that that reveals God's glory and Jesus' glory to those who believe. It's a sign showing the glory of Jesus, who he was, what he could do. It also is a sign that confronted people with their need to decide about Jesus. Did you notice at the end, the disciples believed. There was glory involved in this. The synoptic gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three, use the word dunamis, which is the acts of power, but not in John. They're sort of the portents, if you like. They're the signs. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe, said Jesus. And this was... Again demonstrating that the, the reign of Satan was vanquished. Satan is defeated They're breakthrough events with a purpose, showing what we're dealing with. They are symbolic of God's supernatural power, pointing beyond Jesus to the significance of himself. You know that Jesus often referred to signs as works? Now isn't that interesting? Now, why? It's because works and words are connected. Some of us use words without works. Some of us have works without words, but they're actually connected. The two things need to be related together. In John 10, 4, John 14.10, Jesus said, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The work and the word is linked together. They both speak. They both are signs. By the way, in your life, what signs are there that you belong to Jesus? Signs in your words? Signs in your works. What do you do that people will say, "I think that person's a Christian." What are your words like that demonstrate the same thing, that you belong to him? At the start of John's Gospel, it points out this. All things were made by him, and without him there was not anything made that is made. You see, the possibility of a miracle and a miraculous power is right there at the opening of John's Gospel. The two things are together. All things were made by him, and the all-creating word The word of God cannot be held to ransom by his own creation. In other words, he can't be limited by the thing he's made. God is above that. Jesus is above that. Miracle is his prerogative. He made the world. It's his right. But there's always a purpose in that. And the signs proclaim the presence, the direct presence, and the action of God in the external world of nature and history. God is there. God is sovereign in the ability to do what he chooses. Now, Jesus came to this wedding. Jesus is sometimes perceived as antisocial. Maybe a killjoy. But that's not the record here. He was at a wedding. There's something about Jesus. When the bride and groom put their guest list together, Jesus' name was included. And when Jesus showed up with half a dozen of his friends, his disciples, the invitation wasn't drawn back, it wasn't rescinded. Whoever was hosting the party was happy to have Jesus present. Ah, yeah, be sure to put Jesus' name on the list, he might have said. He really lightens up the party. He wasn't invited at this point, remember, because he was a celebrity. He wasn't one at this stage. The invitation wasn't motivated by miracles. He hadn't performed any. Why did they invite him? <laughs> Maybe they liked him. Maybe they just liked him. Common folk enjoyed being with Jesus. And folk generally should enjoy being with you and me. Because if they enjoy being with Jesus, and Jesus lives in us, shouldn't there be some resemblance that draws people to you and to him? Note that Jesus didn't act high and mighty. The Holy One wasn't holier than thou. The One who knew it all wasn't a know-it-all. The One who made the stars didn't keep His head in them. The One who owns all the stuff on earth never strutted his stuff. He could have, but he didn't. He could have been the name dropper. Oh, do I ever tell you the time that Moses and I met together on the mountain? It could have been a show-off. Hey, I'm God. Do you want me to beam you into the 21st century? Okay, you could have been a smart aleck. You know what I'm thinking? You want me to prove it? He could have been highbrow and all uppity. I've got some property on uh, Jupiter and a bit more on Uranus. and uh, He could have been all these things, but he wasn't. His purpose was not to show off, but to show up. And when you go to social events, Jesus shows up with you. He went to great pains, Jesus did, to be as human as the guy down the street. He didn't need to study, but he went to the synagogue. He had no need for income, but uh, he worked in a workshop. He knew the fellowship of angels. He had heard the harps of heaven. And he went to parties thrown by tax collectors. And on his shoulders rested the challenge of redeeming God's creation. But he still took time to walk many kilometers to go to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. This is Jesus. And you and I are followers. Of Jesus. There's no hint he used his heavenly status for personal gain, ever. His faith made him likable, not detestable. Jesus was accused of much, but he was never accused of being a grump, a sourpuss, self-centered. People didn't groan when he appeared. They didn't duck for cover when he entered the room. This is Jesus. He called people by name. He listened to the stories, he answered questions. He visited sick relatives and and helped sick friends. He fished with fishermen and ate lunch with a little guy and spoke words of affirmation. He went to enough parties that he was criticised for hanging out with rowdy people and questionable crowds. People were drawn to Jesus. He was on the guest list. Thousands came to hear him. Hundreds chose to follow him. They shut down their businesses. They walked away from careers to be with him. His purpose statement read... I came to give life and joy with abundance, says the voice translation. Jesus was a delight to be with. The angels announced good news of great joy in Luke, not bad news of great duty. And do people say the same with us? The notion that a good Christian is a solemn Christian was probably started by a disciple that had a long face. The truly gifted are not the heavy hearted. God is a God of relationship, a God of care, a God that connects with people. So when the wine was gone, verse 3, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, did Mary have a key catering role? Maybe. There was quite a responsibility. Some Jewish weddings lasted up to a week, but then... There was a major faux pas this all reflected on the bridegroom who had the responsibility of ensuring the catering was adequate and you know that in ancient judaism lawsuits were not uncommon and not unknown in cases where the catering was deficient in a wedding breakfast so this was a major issue this wasn't one tiny little catastrophe this was something of huge significance and huge importance. What are the things that Mary does that you note are significant? You've got one minute. Identify them now. Go. What does Mary do? What does Mary do? Let's go back to the, Sarah, back to the text again. Think about Mary. Right. What does Mary do? There's the text. Okay. So what's Mary's response? What do we learn about Mary. Right, yes. Believed what? She believed in her son, thank you. What else? She forced an issue. She, more. Yeah, there's some connection. She was protective of reputation and concern for what was going on. Anything else? Yeah. Reading the room and prepared to solve it. The problem became her problem. And she responded as a consequence. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever he says to you, do it. There's a whole area of trust in them. And of course the point is she went to Jesus. She went to him. She didn't take all the load on herself. Is that your pattern when you've got a problem, an issue? You go to Jesus? You take it there? Or do you carry that load and that burden in your own heart yourself? What do you do? What do you do in a catastrophe? Here was this thing that happened and run out it was a catastrophe what's your pattern in a catastrophe go to Jesus or panic this is terrible what am I going to do how do I cope with this what's going on oh no or it's his fault why they didn't that jolly bridegroom manage things better you know we lay blame sometimes at a catastrophe. This response of Mary was so different. She went to Jesus. And again, I would like to encourage all of us, if Jesus is with us, if Jesus and his spirit are indwelling us by his spirit, if that's true, why panic? Come on. Let's get a grip. Why panic? If Jesus is there, and there's my dear friend Tony wishing on no, he didn't wish this on me, but allowing all sorts of catastrophes to happen in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> you know? No thought of saving from prisons, no thought of, you know, being held up on the highway. The principal a few years ago went out the gate, was accosted by people. There was a big hang-up in Papua New Guinea just not too long ago, where some beer was stolen from a village and the, re- the, the repercussions were three deaths occurred directly as a result of that sort of thing. Do we panic? I know that the, the tendency for us all to say, oh! But maybe the next thing should be to say, where do I go with that? If Jesus is who he said he is, and we believe in him, should that not make a difference? And yet so often we sort of get into a rut and we said, I can't handle this. The wine was gone. Jesus' mother said, They have no more wine. Maybe she had a catering role, maybe there are all sorts of things. That's a model for prayer, by the way a prayer of intercession. They have no more wine. There's another very short prayer The one whom you love is sick. The story of Lazarus who died. By the way, if you got stumbled with that word woman in the text it's actually got a really lovely undertone it means dear woman, dear one. It's the same word that is used as Jesus greets Mary after his resurrection. Same word. It's got warmth in it, it's not just an abrasive thing. But maybe there's a bit of a note of correction in that. By the way Note the implicit obedience. Do whatever he tells you. I suppose, as I was reflecting on my going and leaving New Zealand, by the way, at about 2 a.m. tomorrow morning, you might like to pray for me. I've got to get up then. It's not my normal time. (laughs) But I'm sure most of you are awake and praying at that time of day. (laughs) My plane leaves at 6.15 a.m., and I need to get to the airport in enough time to catch the plane, but you see, what we're talking about is do whatever he tells you. What if Jesus tells you to get up at five o'clock to pray? What if Jesus tells you to speak to someone that doesn't know Jesus? What if Jesus tells you, what if there's a witness in your heart that someone needs a cup of tea, (laughs) or a cup of coffee, or a bit of support, or a bit of love. Do whatever he tells you. Is the word that came by, from Mary to the servants there. Do whatever he tells you. And there with this miracle. All these stone jars. So much. That's a lot of wine. I don't know how big the wedding was, but must have been a happy one. By the way, this is not an argument for the consumption of alcohol today, so please don't take this and then build up your own stocks to parallel the amount that was done by Jesus. The misery from alcohol and its abuse is clear today. Discussion around alcohol, advocating it or refraining from it, rests on other grounds in other passages. But wasn't this lovely, the statement from the master of the, or the MC, I guess. You give the nice wine first, the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. For John, part of the sign was the sign of something new that was coming. The old wine of Judaism, the old wine of the Mosaic Covenant was being replaced by the new wine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the new wine offered so much hope, so much deliverance, so much freedom from guilt, and the book of Hebrews discusses and develops that even further. The old is gone, the new has come, and you and I are recipients of that new wine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's so much there. And again it was a wedding. Do you remember that Jesus often talked about, well, the, the gospel often talked about wedding? Jesus said this The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet. And then in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. What defines you? Are you like Mary? in a catastrophe that we've touched on. Sometimes a church is even defined in that sort of way. There's the church of the broken fellowship, the definition of what life was like in that church. And there's the associate pastor, Tom Anxiety. And there's Naomi. Remember Naomi in the story of Ruth? Husband died, two sons died. She became a widow, hostile, alien country, and she said, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Where's your identity? In a catastrophe, what happens with the issue of identity? The grown-up kid, parents fail them. They now blame society or church or government or anyone and calls themselves useless. The person whose financial security vanishes and a partner dies or is injured, how do you define yourself? I won't deal with this part, but there's a verse in Philippians 4, verse 5 that says, Let your gentleness be evident. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Three things from that, just to finish, to take away. The word gentleness describes a temperament. A temperament that is seasoned and mature. It's an attitude that fits the occasion. It's level-headed even-tempered. It's one of steadfastness, even-handedness, fairly. It's one that looks humanely, with humanity, with compassion, on a situation. Let your gentleness respond appropriately to the situation. Mary's response was gentle. She went to Jesus. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Philippians 4, verse 5, the Lord Is near. Why be gentle? Because the Lord is near. And in any catastrophe, the Lord is always near. And then the end of that verse, verse 5, Philippians 4 do not be anxious about anything. So, where are you? When you go out this week and you live your life, and as I go out and I seek to live my life, remember the story of Jesus and what he was like because you are followers of Jesus as I am. Remember. Remember that Jesus is the one that can achieve a miracle but remember it is always for his glory, for the glory of God. I'd like a half a dozen miracles but they're all self-serving ones, the things that I would like to see happen. I don't think any of them or many of them are there to bring glory to God. When you want a miracle, ask for, will it bring honour and glory to God? And if you don't know, let God decide. And then there's this whole question of Mary and her situation with regard to a crisis. This is what I've dug out of this Yeah, Paulette, yeah. Good question. I, I, do you like this sort of thing? Questions coming in? And Now it's time to stop. I'm going to get rebuked. We've gone 10 minutes over time already and I'm conscious of that. I'm not going to get hauled over the coals but I will try to answer the question. My time has not yet come. What do you think, what others of you, what do you think that might mean? This is a great teaching technique. When you're uncertain, ask the congregation. <laughs> Yeah, all of Christ's honour and glory, the full picture of who he was, is not yet come. But this was a foretaste. This was just a keyhole look into heaven. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Always when you're praying, always pray according to God's will. There's the story in the Old Testament of a king who prayed for additional years. He was given 15 extra years of life but those extra years were not God's will for him and it was a calamity. You can check it out in the Old Testament, the king that had extra years given to him but it was calamitous years. It wasn't God's perfect purpose for that king. Be careful. We need to go. Your Sunday lunch is waiting you and anxiety is developing in some quarters, I suspect. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to become just a little bit more like Jesus. Help us to be gracious. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be caring. Help us to respond with the answers that we have got and that we can give. Lord, enable us that we might bring honour to you. Glory to your name. If it's your will to give a miracle in some time of need, then we honour you with that. If it's not, we still honour you because you're God and you know what's best. And Lord, help us always to know that you're near, you're close to us, you're nearby, always near, and help us to take you with us in any situation that we're in, social, private, personal. We honour you. We want to honour who you are. Help us then in catastrophe to always turn to you. We commend ourselves to you now. We ask as we go our way, you will go with us and that we will choose to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.